I don't know if you know how preachers determine what they're going to preach. Sometimes it's pre-planned and is thought out in months in advance as a series of lessons. Sometimes those topics and those themes come from reading articles or reading books. And uh, it wasn't but just a few weeks ago that I was reading along and I came across the title or at least the statement that we ought to be salty Christians. And um, I thought that is really a unique idea to think about. Obviously, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 came to my mind. And I want to begin by talking about you have to face the fact that influence is a powerful tool used in all of our lives. For instance, people will call you on the telephone and say, I want you to vote for this person, that person. They want you to use your influence to try to help that person to be elected. Or probably more common, someone says, my son, my daughter is needing a job. Will you talk to someone that you know and see if you can get them a job? Please use your influence. Sometimes in our own families, we find ourselves trying to persuade someone else to do something, and we know we're not the right person to do that. And so we'll go to this person or that person, we'll say, will you try to influence them? But you see, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount addressed the influence that godly people have. That is you and myself. And he used the two figures. He said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on the hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men take and put it under a bushel, but on a lampstand so that it may give light to all that are in the house. And then he uses that figure of salt. When you think about salt and the passage talks about flavoring. But do you realize salt has more than one usage? In fact, if you start looking at it a little bit, even biblically, it talks about salt being a purifier, salt being a preservative, and then obviously salt is pleasing, sometimes too pleasing. Let's look at these three ideas in our lesson tonight. I guess I didn't think of salt as being a purifying agent. And yet it is. It's used in several instances. For instance, in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 16 and verse 14, talking about newborn babies, he says, As for your nativity, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed in water to cleanse you. You were not rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. You know, as you think about the various ways in which a new baby is born, you think about the washing of water, but the salt was there to purify, to not only cleanse the skin and to exfoliate, you ladies will know what that means, but the idea of being able to purify the skin of that baby. It was also used as a miracle in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, Elisha the prophet was confronted with a city that had bad water. Verse 19, then the men of the city said to Elisha, please notice the situation of the city is pleasant. As the Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground is barren. And he said, bring me a new bowl 
and put salt in it. So they brought it to him, and then he put out to the source of water, and he cast the salt in there and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water from it, and there shall be no more death or barrenness. So the water remains healed to this day according to the word of Elisha which he spoke. Now, he said, well, that was a miracle. He just used that as a means of purification. But one thing I found very interesting is now salt is used to purify water. The Michigan Technological University discovered a way to use salt to purify muddy water. And in fact, they're using this in a number of developing countries where the people need to have clean drinking water and they put salt in there and they put it in the sun and it attracts all of that bacteria and all of the bad stuff. And there's actually even a term for it. They call it SODIS, solar disinfectant, by means of use of the salt. When you think about that, salt has destructive purposes as well. For instance, in John 9, verse 45, it says, Bimelech fought against the city all that day, and he took the city and killed the people who were in it, and he demolished the city and sowed it with salt. The sowing of the land with salt was to destroy the value of the land so it wouldn't grow things. I did not realize that the ocean and its saltiness actually is a beneficial thing to be able to control the growth of various items that are in there that would not be wanted. As Christians, we ought to be a purifying agent in this world. We ought to be the kind of people that when we are here, we're having an influence to purify the people. Think about people like Joseph of the Old Testament. You remember what Joseph did? He was taken from his brothers and sold into captivity by those same brothers. When he went down into Egypt, did he have an influence for good in purifying those people? Absolutely. In Genesis chapter 45, verse 5, But now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. There was a purifying effect there. Same thing in Genesis 45, 7. You and I ought to have a purifying effect of the people which we come among. I think about the young preacher Timothy. How a young person can have an influence that purifies a whole group. 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. He said, Let no man despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. So salt can purify. We ought to be a purifying agent in this world. But I did know that salt preserves. Before refrigeration, salt was the main way of preserving foods. I can't imagine living back in the time when you didn't have a refrigerator to keep your foods cold or a freezer in which to store your various items. But that was very common. It works by drying the meat so that it will not support the growth of mold or bacteria. I can't tell you what I do remember as a child, like in biblical times where you take salt and you preserve something like fish or some other meat. 
I remember going out to the smokehouse and looking in a big old wood box and there being hams in there and covered over with salt. You know why it was there? To preserve that meat, to save it. In fact, in biblical times, there's a lot of discussion about using salt as a preservative, particularly for fish that were caught out of the Sea of Galilee. Something else I didn't think about until preparing this lesson, what was the use of brine for pickling? And um, some of you may know a lot more about that than I do because I don't eat anything that's pickled. Uh, My daddy used to love pickled pig's feet. I could not stand the thought of it, couldn't stand the smell of it. But I understand the principle of it. It preserves. But when you think about the preservation of salt, sometimes there's not enough salt. Let me give you a good illustration. Do you remember Abraham discussing with God through the angels with regards to the preservation of the city of Sodom? Genesis 18, beginning with verse 23, we're not going to read all the way through verse 33, but notice a little of this. And Abraham came near and said, Would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for 50 righteous who were in it? Far be it from you to do such things as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Now you know what goes on. 50, 45, 40, 30, 35. Get all the way down. Lord, would you you preserve the city for 10 righteous souls? There was not 10 in the city. There was four who actually left. Only three of them actually escaped. You remember Lot's wife? That's what Jesus said. Remember Lot's wife. Sometimes there's not enough salt in a place to be a preservative. And God, because of his justice, looks and says, it's worthy of being destroyed. And I ask the question, is there enough preservative here? Jeremiah 5, verse 1, Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. See it now and know and seek in her open places. If you can find a man, if anyone who executes judgment, who seeks the truth, and I will pardon her. God said, if you can just find me one, Jeremiah, I'll pardon this city. Ezekiel twenty-two thirty. I sought for a man among them who would make a wall, who would stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. What is God looking for? He's looking for preservative among the people today. And who knows if perhaps our influence... Maybe, let's take it away from our, let's take it to my influence. Your influence might be what preserves a nation, what preserves a church, what preserves a family. Oh yeah. When you think of it in those terms, salty Christians, am I the salt that influences my family? Am I the salt 
that influences this church? Am I the salt that influences this city? This county? This state? This nation? Number three, salt pleases. Let's look back again to Matthew 5 and verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. I like Mark's account a little fuller. For everyone will be seasoned with fire and every sacrifice seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves. Be at peace with one another. Now salt adds taste to food, making it pleasing. Some of us like it too much. Because you see, you go to the doctor and the doctor says, you're going to have to reduce your sodium intake. Not good for your blood pressure. But the truth is, there's some foods that just do not taste right without salt. I can't imagine eating a tomato without salt on it. There's so many things about it which it, it adds taste, it adds flavor. Do you realize that salt pleases God? In regard to the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13, And every offering of grain offering you shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings you shall offer salt. You know, that's pretty plain for God to say every grain offering you give, you've got to put salt on it. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 43, verse 24, When you offer them before the Lord, the priest shall throw salt on them, and they will offer them up as a burnt offering to the Lord. Or you go one more passage, 2 Chronicles 13, in verse 5. Should you not know that the Lord God of Israel gave dominion over Israel to David forever, to, his son, to him and his sons, by a covenant of salt? You see, there was even a ratification of that covenant with David by means of a covenant of salt. I think salt was pleasing to God because he commanded it. But salt is pleasing to us. It may just appear to be a, a, a by chance reference, but in the book of Job, chapter 6 and verse 6, can flavorless food be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? You think about what was observed there. God placed certain spices, if you will, on this earth to make food pleasing. It's just like Proverbs 16 the heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Oh, whether it's sweet or salty, it makes food more palatable. Now, 
we ought to choose our words carefully because our words flavor the message. And you know, as you, you get a little bit older, you begin to appreciate the, the choice of words when you're speaking. Listen to Job 12, verse 11. Does not the ear test words and the mouth taste food? I will tell you there's times that people have said to me, I want you to try something. You'll like it. I put it in my mouth and I'm trying to be nice enough not to spit it out because it doesn't taste good. And I hate to say, no, I really don't like that. I usually will try to divert the attention by saying, you know, I really do like and say something else. So if you ever hear me that say that, you'll know what I'm talking about. But just like a person tastes food, people listen to your words. In Colossians 4, verses 4 through 6, that I may make manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Folks, I can't tell you how many times I've been in conversation with people who do not love the Lord. They do not love His church. Sometimes you may not have another opportunity to be able to have an impact on that person for the future. Oh, you may feel like I need to say this or I need to say that. But walk in wisdom toward those who are on the outside. Someone else may be listening. Someone else may be learning. Someone else may need to hear good, positive, encouraging, uplifting words. When the writer of the book of Hebrews was addressing those departing from the faith, he was talking about what they had received and he says, For it is impossible for those who have once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and become partakers of the Holy Spirit and tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. And he goes on to say, If they fall away to renew the given to repentance. But I want to emphasize tasted the good word of God. Sometimes we're, we're not doing the right thing by not giving them a taste for and a desire for the Word of God. Now, I've always heard you can't, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. I understand the original author of that phrase has another one that goes after it. And it's something like this, but you can give him salt to where he wants to drink. You can leave that horse there, but if you give him a little salt, then he becomes thirsty. You put a little salt with the Word of God, and people then develop a taste. They say, I, that's something I need. Maybe talking with people and having influence on them to try to say, here's why you need the Word of God. And then they begin to develop a desire to taste it, to enjoy it together. 
Christians would often have a greater impact on the world if they chose their words more carefully. I don't have it in the list, but we talked about it in the Sunday morning class this morning downstairs. Let every man be swift to hear. Slow to speak and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. Is it all right to pause? Is it all right to be quiet? Absolutely it is. Proverbs 15 verse 1, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Think about what you're saying. Second Chronicles chapter 10 verse 7, And they spoke to him saying, that is to Rehoboam, If you are kind to these people and please them and speak good words to them, they will be your servants forever. The wise men said, talk to these people kindly. Sometimes we need to make sure that the words that we're speaking to those that we're trying to reach are kind words. God wants his people to have a very powerful impact for good in this world, to be an influence. And if we've lost our influence, just like the salt that is no value, If you went to the grocery store and you brought home a little bottle of that salt and it's got a little girl who's got an umbrella on it and y'all know who I'm, the one I'm talking about, and you pour it in your shaker and then you sprinkle it on your food and I didn't do anything. You sprinkle some more and you take your finger and you touch it and you taste, I don't have any flavor to it. Something's wrong with this salt. Let's get rid of it. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from the fleshly lust which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. We ought to be the kind of people making an impact on this world by people seeing the way we act, the way we talk, that we are salty Christians. And then in Philippians three or 2 and verse 15, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. God is calling us to be influential, if you will, to be salty Christians. The greatest impact that you can have is to be a faithful child of God. And so as we extend the Lord's invitation tonight, the invitation is you want to be a powerful influence in your family? You want to be a powerful influence? First thing you've got to do is become a child of God. You come and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You repent of those sins, confessing your faith and being baptized. The Lord adding you to his body, the church. Then you can have some real influence. I want to tell you, I've talked to people before. Some people who are not even Christians have 
tried to get me to talk to other people about the church. I scratch myself on the head and say, but they've not even obeyed yet. Are you that person? Are you the person who's, who's thought about it, but you've not yet obeyed the gospel? Why not take that privilege that we enjoy tonight? Now here's the reality. Many of us sometimes are not the influence we ought to be. In fact, we're a negative influence for the Lord. And if that's the case, we need to repent and make some changes in our lives. And I'd suggest to you tonight the best way you can do that is to acknowledge the sin being there, ask for the prayers of the brethren here, and then live a different life. If you need to respond to the invitation, would you come as together we stand and sing?